morning. <clears throat> if you got your Bibles, go to the book of Genesis. Go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 16. Genesis 18, 16. When you get there, let us pray. <clears throat> Father God, in the name of Jesus, help us to focus on you, to truly learn something, God, to be stirred, to serve you out of a pure heart, Father God. In Jesus' name, clear our hearts, clear our minds, to hear your truth, speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 18, we start in verse 16. We're continuing on the same thing we've been talking about for about the last three or four weeks, and that's... <clears throat> the word of God, the fact that the Holy Spirit gives inspiration. And last week when we was talking, we was talking about how that a part of the necessary thing to benefit from the word of God is a willingness to obey it. And if we go to the word with a heart to obey, then and only then can we truly benefit from all that the word of God has to offer. But that heart to obey it's not something that we get from our own will and our own mind, but we need to know that when God gives us laws, when God gives us commands, it's to drive us to him, to show us the fact that we can't do everything it is he tells us to do. And we're going to switch gears a little bit and get a little more practical. Because another promise that God gives us, uh, we're going to learn through narrative this time, is that a part of that willingness to obey is a willingness to share. So we have an obligation. God unfolds his word. God unfolds his truth. But we will not benefit from it unless we're willing to obey it. And that willingness to obey it is a willingness to share. But we're going to talk about sharing to a specific group. And we're going to look at a couple stories. And we're going to try to get real practical. Go to, like I said, we had Genesis 18 verse 16. It says, and the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them. To bring them on the way. Now, we're jumping in the middle of a story here just for time. But what is going on, God has visited Abraham. God came down in physical form to talk to Abraham. And now he's getting ready to leave Abraham. And Abraham walking, basically like walking him to the door. So it's God and Abraham walking, God getting ready to leave. It was three, two angels with him. He sent them on their way. And we pick up with the conversation with Abraham. But I want you to notice what God says about Abraham. And see, can we glean this for ourselves? In verse 17, God's getting ready to leave. He said, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abram that thing which I do, seeing that Abram shall surely become a great and mighty nation of all the nations of the earth and shall be blessed of him. For I know him that he will command his children in his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. You, you see the description that he gives here of Abraham. He said God got some secrets and some things that are about to go down. So God got his plan. He's been finna do his will. But he takes a pause to consider Abraham. And the thing I want you to notice, it says that God said in this, in, in, in speaking in himself, that I will not hide from Abraham the thing that I'm going to do. Because he gives some descriptions about Abraham. 
That one, I blessed him. He's going to be a great nation. And all nations shall be blessed by him. And two, because I know he shall train his children after him. And they shall keep the way and the commandments of the Lord. So God considered Abraham to give him great revelation because God knew that Abraham was going to teach his children the things that God taught Abraham. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So he makes promises to Abraham because the promises was built upon the faithfulness of Abraham to teach those behind him. Now, let's just think about this for a moment. In this room, we got young and we got folks that seem like they may be old. <laughs> young folks and people that seem like they may be old. How many of you have heard somebody make the statement that the young folk these days either crazy, disrespectful, don't know what they're doing, think they know everything, they just changed and it ain't the same how it used to be. How many of you ever heard a statement similar to that? Yeah, I agree. I didn't hear it. I didn't say it. And I think about that statement every time I make it. I just think about it like at work. I work with kids. And it's this dynamic I've seen switch over the years. Because when I grew up, children and adults could not share the same space when adults were doing their leisure thing. Children go outside. The grown folks sit in the house and talk. And if the grown folks come outside, the children go somewhere and play. So that's the mind frame that I got. But I noticed with the new people coming up in the, in the workplace, they sit and they have deep conversations with children sitting right there. And it took a minute for me to register like, they don't think nothing wrong with this. The little children all in their conversation and telling them about what the other grown folks said and they're going, I'm like, man, things a little different. Cause I remember my granny house, her house was the shot house. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the reality. Granny house was the shot house. She had a big chair that sat in the window. She had a package from the package store and she pulled her little shots and sold them. Now when the people came around granny house to drink, there was immediate exposure. I had to get out Go play, go upstairs to play. I could not just sit around and, and listen to them talk. And then once I thought about that stuff, the thing popped in my head. Man, these young folks die day. And these, I'm talking about people like five years younger than me. <laughs> these young folks nowadays, they don't understand. You don't have the children around you. But then I think about it. If they like this, and the people that seem old one like that, they was taught by the people that seem old. So if the younger people coming up are missing something, that means we can give them something. Y'all understanding what I'm saying? Because it's our responsibility to take what we know and the truth we earn and display it to our children. And it's a responsibility that we have to give an account of. 
And the dangerous and crazy thing that you see if you study the pattern of history is everybody do this. If you read in the book of Judges, that's one of the worst books in the Bible. It is. It's all type of killing, all type of murder, rape, all that stuff go on in the book of Judges. But the refrain that opens the book up is Joshua died and there arose a generation that did not know Joshua. So Joshua and his people was tight. They were on point. But the children that he raised didn't teach the children behind him all type of murder, chaos, rape, and all type of foolishness was happening. So there was a gap between what Joshua taught his children and what his children taught them. And we got the situation that we saw through the book of Judges. And you think about it through history. We have a continuation of this same pattern all the way to our modern day. If you read and pay attention to history, like this for all my woke folks. I still don't get that. Because the only people that have to tell me they woke are folks that fall asleep. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but for all my woke folks, I think about this amazing picture and I read a little history and do little studies and all that stuff. How many of you recognize that what we call the black man is in a bad plight? They ain't look bad. We shooting and killing one another. Every time a neighborhood become a quote-unquote black neighborhood, it ain't no good no more. That's just the reality. And the automatic thought is we are expressing thousands and thousands of years of oppression. And we have been conditioned to live in this situation. Anybody ever heard that before? Okay. But I was thinking, and I looked at times when the quote-unquote black folks went through the most oppression. We refer to it as slavery. There was a hard oppression. People being beat. Families being torn apart. All because of the way that they looked. And all for profit and gain. Then something amazing happened. Them folks got they free. They got it. And then immediately after they got they free, these oppressed people living in these wretched conditions who didn't have anything to their name begin to build cities. They begin to build neighborhoods. They begin to become House of Representatives and members of Congress. And things begin to thrive. So I'm like, hold up. If a man fresh off the back of oppression can build a city, build a neighborhood, own grocery stores, and have some of the most prominent places in this southern United States. What excuse do we have when we'd have free for a couple hundred years? Do we have enemies? Are there people that unjustly treat people just because of the way they look? Yes. But did they have it? Sure enough. So there's some disconnect that has taken place in the rise, in the education of us as a people, and by us I mean all human beings because we jacked up to the point where we have allowed ourselves to slip and things have been lost. And now we living in a greater oppression than what they were living in because they was able to rise and they was able to come up. 
the quote unquote black neighborhood used to be a great thing. Now we have to run and hide from people who look like us because there has been some loss. There has been some separation and we things all messed up. But it's my purpose here this morning to stir us. To not just feel bad. To not just watch videos and put up fish. But to take responsibility for those who connect with us. And it begins with what we call the first institution that God has created. Better known as the family. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? We have a responsibility to teach, to train, to raise our children. In our pursuit, going after God, being holy, being a Christian does not mean a thing if we do not disciple those who are closest to us. You know, you can be as deep as you want. If your children crazy, they ain't about nothing. You can be as holy as you want. If your children unholy, it ain't about nothing. So we need to take responsibility and begin to teach, begin to train, and begin to raise our children. Go with me. Now, let's watch this. Go flip on a little further in the book of Genesis. Let me show you something. Genesis chapter 27. Actually, stop at 26. Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26, verse 34. Genesis chapter 26, verse 34. These are some short verses that got a whole lot of weight in them. It says, Esau was 40 years old when he took a wife, Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, and Bathshemeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, which were a grief of mine unto Isaac and to Rebekah. Esau was 40 years old. He took two wives. Both of them were Hittites. And it said it was a grief of mine unto Isaac and Rebekah. Go to the next chapter. Chapter 27. Chapter 27, verse 46. It's the same family. Said Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these, which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do to me? Now, to help you understand the picture, like I said, there's a lot of waiting. Now, most people don't catch it. You got two sons, twin brothers, one Esau, the other Jacob. The first one, the one we read about first, the one that was 40 years old, took him two wives. Say he married children of the daughter of the Hittites. Now, in their family, this was a frowned upon thing. Mama and them didn't like it. They said he was a grief unto his parents because of the folks who he chose to marry. So in the next chapter, you see Isaac and Rebecca sitting down having a conversation and they eventually go to their son Jacob and tell him, don't you marry none of these Hittite women. You go to our family and get you a wife. And they instruct him on how to keep the family tradition going. And what most people don't realize or don't notice in this is that there was an assumption that created grief in the family. Because of who they were and because of their tradition, they just assumed that Isaac, I mean Esau, understood. We never see them give any instructions to Esau. 
Esau just going and he doing his thing. And he ended up doing something that brought displeasure to his family. And immediately they turn and teach the other one. And they cast Esau out as being a burden to the family. And what that happens is we do the same thing that they did. Especially us quote unquote Christian church folk. We bring our children to church and we give the responsibility to the preachers and the youth teachers to raise our children. Monday through Friday we can dress, get them nice shoes, comb their hair, get all the boogers out they know. Then we send them to school and give the responsibility to the government to train them. So all of their training both spiritually and quote unquote naturally has been pawned off to other people. They raise, they learn stuff that you ain't teaching. They learn ways that you ain't demonstrate. And they're schooled by people who you disagree with. And when they go up and do things that you think is a heaviness and a burden that ain't the way you train them because we're a Christian family, now you upset and you have heaviness and you have a burden. They weary your life, like Rebecca said. It's because there was assumptions that went forth and you did not take the time to teach them. And if you actually read the whole story out, Esau later realized what happened and he go get him another wife to try to make his parents happen because he ain't know. So he married him another woman to try to make his mama proud because he didn't realize that his parents did not take pleasure in the wife that he chose. So that shows you the pattern that went forth. They judged Esau. They cast him down. They put his burden on him, but they never took the time to teach him how he was supposed to get a wife. They never took the time to teach him what type of women he was supposed to hang out with. They never showed him their true expectations. They just expected him to grow up and do it. And we do our children a great disservice if we do them the same way. If we, Just because you take them to church don't mean they learn it. Just because you fuss at them when you get mad and they don't do something that you like, that don't mean they learning. The only thing they learn when you get mad, fuss at them, throw the shoe at them, drag them in there, and hit them that many times is that you don't like it. <laughs> That's the only thing they learn. When we yell and slam each other off the bed and hit flips on the rail and the thing break, all the thing we know if that mama don't like it when we do that. Because my head hurt because I fell and I still got a whip it. So now my head hurt and my duke hurt. <laughs> and the only thing they get out the whole situation is don't break the rail. <laughs> they still don't understand the heart of mama because all you did was let them do what they did until you got mad. They've been tearing up the house for about an hour. And all you've been doing is yelling, don't make me come up there. <laughs> if you ain't came yet, ain't nothing we can do. You don't know what we're doing up here. <laughs> you just don't know I suplex my sister. <laughs> that ain't going to make you come up here. Ain't nothing going to make you come. <laughs> If one more person cry, I'm going to whoop everybody. So all that means next time I slap you, I put my hand over your mouth so mama don't hear it. <laughs> That's all the children learning. So they're free 
and they're free to do whatever they want to, whenever they want to, however they want to. And when they go to school slamming jokers on the head, be like, boy, didn't I teach you better than that? No, mama, you told me don't let them cry again. <laughs> That's what you taught me, that I can suplex them as many times I want to, long they don't cry. And we don't disrupt your live PD or, or first 48, whatever it is you watch. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And this is the situation that happened in the house of Isaac and Rebecca. They had expectations, but they did not display them to their children. So their children, mainly Esau, grew up doing what he wanted to do, living life his own way, not knowing that he was bringing heaviness and pain to his family. And once it finally got expressed that, hey, man, he ain't doing right, the boy was lost. And he fought as good as he could to restore things back. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So we have this responsibility to teach our children. And if God be God and his word be true, our growth and our understanding of revelation and our connection to the father is connected to that. You can't expect to go sky high and God give you great wisdom and great revelation and your children be crazy. It don't work. Go with me. Watch this. Let me let me show you something. And we're going to make it real personal. And I'm going to get to where I'm going. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4 verse 4. All right. Matthew 4 verse 4. All right. This is a famous verse. It says, Jesus being tempted by the devil. Said, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So just as Jesus responded, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. How many of y'all good church folk think that's true? That we truly need the word to live? Let me see by a show of hands. How many think that's true? All right, we got a couple people think that's true. That we need the word of God to live. And it's another verse that I used to love in, in Job. I think it's chapter 23, verse 12. It talks about Job saying, I esteem your word above my necessary food. That one of the verses I used to hear the old folks in church quote when they doing their thing and praying and all that stuff. And it stuck with me. I, yeah, esteem his word above my necessary food. If we think that is true, that's deep. And my thoughts on this really convicted me some years ago. I was at home, young dad. Like I said, I got married very young and had children, my son, right after I got married. And saying we, I went straight from Gill Village to being a married man. Just like that. <laughs> straight, just like that. No in between, no time to get nothing like that. I was married with my mama in 1923, Give Drive. Kicked us out of Cedar Park, sent us to Gill Village. Left there, went straight to being married. My hand on my own, finna raise a family. Just like that. Had my son, me and my son, that was my boy. I called him the bomb. Daddy's big old man, he was the bomb. And like I said, we broke, pulled in him up. So my wife 
after she had the baby, did a breastfeed thing, after he got a little bit bigger, she went back to work. So I worked in the day, and she go to work at night. So it's me and the bum all night long, us kicking it, boy with his daddy. And it was some cool times. Had it doing our thing. Then one day, my wife had to work like all day on a Saturday or something like that. And then I was throwing them boxes there at KB Toys. Brother was tired. So she halfway wake me, tell me she going to work. And I get up, just go lay down on the couch. I don't know what that boy was doing. <laughs> I'm dozing in and out of consciousness. Boy having a good time. <laughs> Scooch around the house, tearing stuff up, pulling everything down. And for some reason, we go from her waking us up to her walking back in the house. I not realized about eight, nine hours in laps. Because <laughs> I was in and out of consciousness. Brother was tired, man. It was hot. We live in Alabama. You throwing boxes. It was hot. Then she asked a, a deep question, a very deep question. She said, did you feed the baby? I don't know. <laughs> now I think about it, I don't think I fed him. Nah. I don't know what she said. He's <laughs> scrambling to go get the boy something to eat. He, he, that boy was fine. He wasn't crying. He didn't do nothing. He was enjoying his freedom, chilling with his dad. But it hit me a little while later. Because I felt real bad in that moment. I was ashamed and I was embarrassed. I had been with this boy all day. I ain't fed him nothing. Now, how can I do that? Well, like, what type of dad are you? You ain't fed him nothing. You know, I'm just chilling in my mood. Just, like, just thinking things through because I'm a to myself in my head type of guy. And then the thought hit me. Like the boy been live almost a year. How much truth have you fed him? Like, oh, Lord. <laughs> you worried because he milked. Eight hours of eating. The boy missed a year. And you ain't fed him nothing when it comes to God. Then all them scriptures I be singing at church and saying all that stuff about his word is more important than all that. And, and the need is word. The word is truth. And the word is the life. And all that type of good stuff hit me. I don't believe that. Because I thought six hours of not getting that little cereal in that little bowl was going to kill the boy. But a whole year of his life went past. And I ain't talked to the boy nothing. I ain't sat him down. I ain't prayed with him. I ain't read him no Bible story, Bible scripture. Just been taking him to church. Walking him around on my shoulder. Putting him on his throne. Proud to be a daddy. And God began to really deal with me. How can you truly expect for your son to be what you want him to be when you never trained him to be anything? And why do you disrespect the intelligence of your son thinking he can't learn? Just because he won two years old don't mean he's stupid. Because he can quote back to me what the folks saying on the PBS in the word world. And he can learn the little words from what, what, what the little lady name is. The little flying around one. See, we ain't have cable. We were too poor. Word, girl. When she talking about, see, y'all don't know them cartoons because y'all got money. 
<laughs> y'all rich folk, y'all got cable. See, we were poor folk. We had that one little TV <laughs> that had to go in the living room for everybody watch. Because <laughs> we were broke. <laughs> and we got to go to four little five, six channels. Then they messed us up. We had to get that little converter box. <laughs> and that messed the whole thing up. They're going digital. Now we used to get the fuzz. And so now that thing digital, it just go black. <laughs> but I realized my son, he was learning this stuff. He can repeat after the word world and the word girl. And see it, the science kid and all these little PBS cartoons that teaching all this evolution and stuff I claim I don't believe in, but I sit there and let him watch So why couldn't he understand when I taught him about God? Why couldn't he repeat back to me the words of the scripture? He may not comprehend it, but he can learn it. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is where I went, where the Lord took me. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We got two more. I'm going to let you go. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to start reading at verse 1. So now these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments what the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee. Thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and for and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Now this is God giving a command. Notice how he switched from the Ten Commandments and how the people are supposed to live. And he goes into your household. You're supposed to love the Lord. And in your loving the Lord, it immediately goes to the way that you teach and train your children. And he said, when you sit down in your house, you talk about these things. When you rise up, you talk about these things. When you're walking on your way, you talk about these things. So what that shows us is gives us a model of how it is we're supposed to teach and train our children. It should be a part of our daily lives, some form of instruction in the life of the Lord. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So now, if I go to the house of Chelsea, two doors down from where I was when I first met Jesus. You in C, right? I was in A. So if I go a couple doors down from where I was when Jesus first really started dealing with me, at some point in this visitation, I should see Miss Chelsea with all her spunk and all her Chelsea-ness Tell them children, all right, now y'all come sit down now. Because <laughs> we finna read this Bible and pray, and we're going to talk about something dealing with the Lord. Now the question becomes, is Chelsea qualified to teach the Bible to children? You think she qualified? Do you think she qualified? 
You don't think she qualified. And most parents feel like that. They ain't qualified. So how do you get qualified to train children? Because people get degrees in this. Some people go to whole schools and study for children's ministry. And I expect Chelsea by herself to be able to sit three children down and to teach them something about Jesus. You've been, you've been to school for that? You, you ain't never studied at Fuller Seminary? <laughs> you ain't never done that? You never took no Bible class? You sure? So how in the world are you going to do that? How is God going to judge somebody for doing something that they ain't got no training to do? And to make it even deeper, not only that we got no training, we ain't got no example. Because how many times have you been to somebody's house and you seen them conduct church at their home with their children? Have you ever seen them before? Your parents ain't do that with you? Golly. So we ain't got no example. We ain't got no training. But we got the responsibility. How in the world can we do this? Is that even possible? And like I tell you, I, I, I make it personal. Because when I first met Jesus, I ain't know nothing about the Bible. All I knew was there was a book my mama read every morning. She had a coffee, her daily bread, with faith radio playing in the background. David Jeremiah came on right before I went to school. I ain't know what name then. He just uh, uh, a dude on the radio with a smooth sounding voice. <laughs> and every now and then on a Sunday morning, I get woke up to, come on in the room. <laughs> and that became my jam. <laughs> That's all I knew. And so God called me and convicted me and made me feel real bad about not teaching my children. He take me to this verse talking about talking to them when they sit down, when they rise up, and when they go. And then if you go to Ephesians chapter 6, he got this deep little thing talking about being filled with the Spirit, singing to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Then he turned and he said, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I'm like, whoa. He added some more responsibility. I got to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I looked deep, looked into that word. That word bring them up means to train them. To take them to the rigors of the fear and admonition of the Lord. And every time I read that verse, I think about it. I don't know if y'all, well, some of y'all old enough and played the Nintendo. And you had Mike Tyson punch out. Y'all ever played Mike Tyson punch out before? I played Mike Tyson punch out. And there's a little scene when you go onto the neck board with the man on the bike like this. And he followed me. <laughs> And he followed behind the man. He was training him. And that's always the picture I get in my mind when I read that verse. Is the little dude on that bike. Man riding behind while the man running. That's the training. And that's the way we're supposed to be with our children. We're supposed to be training them, instilling in them, raising them up, making them do the things that they're supposed to do to be that, to be the people we want them to be. And it's amazing how we think about that naturally. Cause we say Tiger Woods ain't have no choice but to be great at golf. Why? Because once he was a little bitty boy, his daddy stuck a golf club in his hand and he didn't have no choice. Serena Williams now is taking over the world, making millions of dollars playing tennis. And she tells you she hates tennis. 
The only reason she do it is because she's good at it. How did she get good at it? Because she had a daddy that would take her down there in the middle of the ghetto, sweep off the court, put up a net, and put a racket in their hand. And no matter how much they cried, no matter how bad they felt, he put that racket in their hand. Bullets flying, people crazy. He gonna got them out there on a tennis court. They grow up and dominate. And we said, we understand that. He ain't got no choice but to be great. That good training. But when it comes to our children, we don't know what to do. We are left lively. Children that gonna grow up and be what they want to be. Either one is true or the other one is. If we can train them in the business world and they grow up to be businessmen, if the dope man can teach his son how to slain dope and he ain't got no choice but to be on the corner, why we can't do it with ours? Huh? If they can put him on Facebook with a pistol and, and, and some liquor in their bottle and you said that boy going to be a thug. Why we can't put eyes on that with a Bible and praying hands and mama's laying hand on him and we can say that boy going to be a preacher, that boy going to be a real man. He going to love women and he going to work a job and he going to live like something because I ain't giving him no other choice. But yet it's still we surrender because we think the world is bigger than our God. But that ain't true. So I go back. How can Chelsea pull it off? Because the God that created Chelsea and knows the heart of those children lives inside of her. She ain't got to be wise. She ain't got to be deep. She ain't got to be schooled in nothing. All she got to do is know God. And he will give her the wisdom that she needs and how to reach her very own children. So when she's praying and when she's seeking God for herself, she need to pray and seek God for her children. I tell you what's going to happen. He's going to put an idea in your mind. And it's going to be something like you never thought of before. And all you need to do is trust God that God is with you when you're raising them children. If he tell you to wake them up at 3 o'clock in the morning and pray with them, do it. If he tell you to get them up an hour early before school and y'all sit down and have family time and pray and send them off to school, prayed up and ready, you do it. Don't allow the dictates of this world to take control of our children. We have that responsibility. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? It's our job to train our children up, it says, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Fear and admonition of the Lord. So that means sometimes you're going to be a little rough with them. Because that word, the fear, is pedagogy. That's where we get our word pedagogue from, which is an institution we call school. It goes to training, mental and physical training. So it's our responsibility mentally and physically to raise our children up, to train them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And that same word is used in, in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 5, I think it is, where it talks about despise not the chastisement of the Lord. Now, when we read that verse, we think God going to put us through hard times and be rough on us because we sinners and he's trying to help us get right. Might understand that. But put, make the connection. It's the same word. So that means sometimes you're going to do something with your children that is uncomfortable. That's not convenient. That's going to make them unhappy. But it's for their what? Benefit. So the people are going to tell you. Your children. Children are hyper. They move around and they can't focus. Okay. That sounds like a weakness. Because one day you want to go to college. One day you want to get a job. 
And he can't be at the job saying, hey, man, I need to go outside because I can't sit still and work for eight hours. Them folk going to run him up off his job. So you need to train him how to sit down and focus for eight hours. So that means sometime at home, you're going to have to make him sit down, listen and learn, but you make it full instruction. And that's something that we begin to do in my house. I got to get it back. That's why it's fresh on my mind. God, I've been dealing with me. I let work and, and violin and, and basketball and all this stuff crowd God out my house. So we ain't been sitting down doing our family time like we're supposed to. But this is something that God gave me. Maybe you can steal it. We have a time where we used to sit down every night. I get all three of them. We sit down. Mine spread out. They're different ages. It don't make no difference. Sit down. Read. Sing a song. We pray. We have discussion. And those times were good. Because in those times, especially reading through the Bible, everything imaginable in this world come up. Because if I'm reading and I read through the book of Exodus and I'm thinking I'm telling them cute, cute little stories about Moses leading the people out. And I come across the Ten Commandments and said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And my child said, what is adultery, daddy? You know what I got to do? I got to sit down and explain to her what adultery is. And you know what? That makes us a little less awkward for me to have the conversation. Because <laughs> all I'm doing is answering a question. When I'm reading and David's child raped his own sister. I got to be able to sit down and explain to him what happened in that story, dad. Why was Absalom so mad and he wanted to kill his brother? So we have a conversation about rape. Ain't no turn the channel because you just read and it's in the Bible and you told them this is word of God. And then my wife get a chance to father say, now anybody touch you at this, <laughs> you tell me, you better not, not say nothing. You say something. And you tell them, see, we get to have all them conversations. <laughs> because all we're doing is sitting down as a family reading. You understanding what I'm saying? And it cultivates that relationship. Children are children. But we must be parents and it's our responsibility to train our children. So begin to seek God if you got children on ways that you can begin to cultivate this relationship with God in them. But more than the relationship with God, the relationship with you as a leader leading them to God. I don't care if it's nothing but you pray over them every night before we go to bed. We're going to say our prayers and we're going to read a Bible story. This is what we're going to do. Y'all going to sit down. Y'all going to listen. I'm going to read, and you're going to pray. Then when they learn how to read, you're going to read, and I'm going to pray. And you just build it. Create some type of routine in your home that begins to cultivate that relationship where they know you and that this is life, this is serious. Because church on Sunday morning is cool, but that's once a week. That ain't life. And if this all the churches you get, you ain't no Christian. I'm sorry. Because people always make the statement. I'm saying, I don't got to go to church to be a Christian. I agree with you. I don't got to go to family reunion to be a part of the family. But when I truly love my family, I'm going to show up. Whether it got on my nerves or not. Whether they didn't invite me to the birthday party or not. I'm still going to show up. I'm going to eat their hot dog. <laughs> and I'm going to take something home. <laughs> 
And if it's at my mama house, I'm going to take a lot of it home and I'm going to dare somebody to say something to me. <laughs> Why? I could do my people. And just showing up at special times ain't enough. But there's a connection that's expected because we the family. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So this should be more than just this time. Your children should be used to you being this way, but not just you, us. And you begin to create that pattern that you ain't get. And people are always talking about they want to give their children something they ain't have. Give them something they ain't, you ain't have. And that ain't Jay's and all that other stuff. Are you understanding what I'm saying? They don't need no Jays and Polo. You can live without that stuff. Now you're going to get joked on. But that's called character. <laughs> and you can tell them, boy, I'm sending you to these schools with these, with these shacks on to be a character in you. <laughs> because people going to talk about you in life. <laughs> so you need to be ready. <laughs> if you can deal with it at school, you can deal with it when you're grown. <laughs> so let go to Walmart and get them <laughs> do joints with the two men on <laughs> you wear them things <laughs> like I said they already protected because nappy heads are cool so you got one thing again so they don't get joked on by that so you have to easy, easy. You, you understand? See, that part of training. So you can save money, embarrass your child, and teach them how to be strong. <laughs> All in one fell swoop. <laughs> Wear them shacks and them hand worn and them hoops. <laughs> them shoes. <laughs> what you got? Them, them new shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I just flashed back to times of my life where I wore some shoes. At one time, I was in college. I was trying to be deep. My uncle called himself selling something. And he gave me some shoes. I don't know what the name was. I was like, man, I'm a man. You know what I'm saying? I'm a grown man now. Everybody tell me what I can wear. They want to know I'm from Cedar Park. <laughs> I doubt somebody say something to me. Man, I wore them shoes, and like I said, I was walking then. I had to walk from Cedar Park all the way to Alabama State. Man, I got to clad my feet were so <laughs> I felt every rock in the street in them shoes. <laughs> man, I ain't wearing these shoes, though. <laughs> forget that. Forget joking. I'm joking on myself. <laughs> Boy, you got coins on your toes out of them shoes. <laughs> But the main thing in the focus is we need to teach our children. And let's say you need some help. Let's say some stuff you ain't quite figured out and you need a little bit of help. That's what the thing we call church is truly for. And if we ain't family enough for you to reach out and get some help and get some training to help you with your children, to help you whatever it is you got going on in your life, this ain't real. Please go somewhere else and find you some real Christians. That's the truth. And if you go somewhere else and they can't help you and they got to, you got to dial six to get to the pastor and you got to go through eight or seven bishops before somebody can help you with your situation, go somewhere else until you find some real Christians. 
because we're supposed to be family. And I'm supposed to be able to come, walk back down that street on 19th Department C, Gibbs Drive, and say, what you need? And you can say, this boy done got big, he think he tough, and I can snatch him up by his ankles. <laughs> and take him somewhere and bring him back to you. Because we're supposed to be a family. You understanding what I'm saying? So it's your responsibility to raise your kids, but it's our responsibility to bear that burden with you. And that goes for every person in here. Anything that's going on, you need to discipline yourself and make true worship, true study a part of your life. And you need some help with that. If Brother Aaron needs to say, man, I'm trying to figure out a routine. One day I'm going to be a husband. I'm going to get married. How am going to do this thing? He should be able to call me and I can say, hey, man, did what I did. This so I can tell you everything you ain't supposed to do. <laughs> so you can start not doing these things right now. And by the time you get there, brother, you're going to be good. And it should be there. If Bronica got somebody and she said, I need somebody to pray with, I want to pray, and things struggling a little bit, she should be able to say, Brother Jay, teach me how to pray. And he don't supposed to give her a book. He should be able to sit down with her and say, this is how we're going to do it. Follow me. Let me show you. And if he can't do that, you find you another church with some real Christians at. Because we're supposed to be a family. So it's our burden to raise up these children, but it's our burden to help the raisers raise them. Are y'all with me? Anybody got any questions? Go ahead. How did God walk and talk with Abraham if God can never show his face? How did God walk and talk with Abraham if God can never show his face? Great question. In the Old Testament, God appeared sometimes in human form. So he put on human form and clothed himself like a man and he hid some of his glory and he came down on earth and talked to people. So God showed up like a man and he walked up to Abraham's house and he sat on the porch, ate some ribs and had a conversation. They were beef ribs though. Abraham was a Jew. <laughs> Did he saw divorce of his other two wives when he married a new woman? Nope. So he just had three of them. That's it. Anybody else got a question? That's it. All right, they all yours. 